This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And now, let's get started on this episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. There's my lower third. You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a podcaster in one way, shape, or form about baseball for the last decade, and now I've been here at the Lockdown Podcast Network for the last five seasons. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sully Baseball, uh, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram, and follow the show at Lockdown MLB Pods on both Twitter and on Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and you know, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. Hey, before I get started with the show today, I'm playing the second part of our interview with Dan Epstein, who is a great author of books like Big Hair and Plastic Grass and Stars and Strikes. And he wrote the wonderful book, The Captain and Me, about Ron Bloomberg, who's a big Yankee cult hero from the 70s, and his friendship with Thurman Munson, who's one of the great Yankee legends of all time. I want to address something. I received, I'm not going to lie, the single uh, strangest YouTube comment I've ever got. It's from Portraits of the Jersey Shore, who's a fan of the show, who said, and and at first I thought I got it from the Riddler, because it says, why do you have an NBA intro to every one of your MLB videos and podcasts? And I have to say, I looked at it. I know some people who have, been in the FBI. They examined this. I didn't understand it. I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. What shows was I talking about the NBA? I'm pretty clear we talk about Major League Baseball in this one. Once in a while, I'll mention basketball, but usually in the context of baseball. didn't know what he was talking about. And I, I asked, him, what, what do you mean? He said, I meant no disrespect. And frankly, I didn't feel any disrespect. But every episode of your show intro has a reference to basketball. Still not understand what he meant. With the scoreboard timer and squeaking sneakers on the hardwoods. And it's jarring because you have a show about baseball. I do love your show, by the way. Okay, that meant the the opening intro you hear, the countdown and you know the, the horn. That's just the branding from the Lockdown Network. I didn't create that. That's what they gave me. And I know that David Locke, who created the network, is a basketball guy and was, uh, you know, the, the, the network originally was a series of basketball podcasts that's expanded other sports. And I, I didn't know, I never, I never even considered that. It's like, yeah, it's, it starts with a horn and, and, and everything. I never thought that made people think, oh, my God, is he going to talk about basketball? It's just the branding they gave us. But guess what? Portraits of the Jersey Shore, you don't have to worry anymore. The national nightmare is over. We have a new intro. You heard it. It just goes right into it. Boom. No countdown. No sneaker squeaking. You just hear, boom, the the music coming in. So 
Uh, thanks for pointing that out, uh, Portrait of the Jersey Shore. I'm glad you listened to the show, and no one else has to be concerned about the three seconds at the opening where it might have sounded like basketball sneakers. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get right to the big point today. Uh, I did this interview with my friend Dan Epstein, who is a great author. We did it about a few weeks ago. We did it via Zoom because we had a lot of technical issues and, you know, kind of had to figure out what to do. So I said, you know what, let's just do it on Zoom. Doesn't matter if the quality of the video isn't great. I just want to have a conversation with you. And I think we had a really fun conversation. Part one, we played uh, last week and we're going to play part two right here. I hope you really enjoy the conversation with Dan Epstein, the writer of The Captain and Me. You were on my Bull Durham Minute podcast that I did a few years ago. That's right. And Mickey Mantle uh, once was asked, I think by Bob Costas or someone else, if he had seen, uh, or may have been Letterman, if they had seen, uh, he was a guest when the film was still in the theaters, and obviously it was a tremendous box office hit, and he thought, did you see it? And he said, yes, I thought it was a very sad movie. And he said he thought it was sad because there was a lot of players that he knew in the minor leagues who were blocked like Crash Davis, and never got their shot. And Ron Shelton was that right. in, in the Orioles organization, was an infield with that amazing Baltimore infield, never got a shot. And I keep thinking of those people who had huge all-star talent that never had the career they deserved, whether they were languishing in the minor leagues or the injuries. And man, is Ron Bloomberg the... The, the topic and and your you know the, the the person who is the narrator of the book uh is exactly that man with great talent and everything sometimes had the wrong manager obviously had tons of injuries and he was there for the Horace Clark years but played only one game during the three years where they won the pennant and uh yeah so He's a very frustrating figure because he would have been a huge if he had done that, if he had timed his best years in 77 and 78, he would be one of these super beloved figures instead of kind of like a cult hero in Yankee history. Right. He's 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 totally a, a Yankee cult hero. And and you're right. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, you know, if, if it's frustrating to you, imagine how frustrating it is. To them. I mean, the the. The, you know, and, and that's, and by the way, everybody out there, we're talking about this, the captain yeah. of me on and off the field with Thurman Munson, the book I wrote on Bloomberg. Um, we covered, we covered that in the, we covered that in the intro, in. but there, there it is. There it is. We each have our copy. Here. Okay. Well then edit, edit that out. <laughs> no, no, but, no, don't, no. let me but, produce this podcast. <laughs> so, all right. So the, one of the things when Ron and I started working on this book, one of the things that I felt was really compelling was, yes, there's a lot of stuff about Thurman Munson that I never knew about that I figured I didn't know. Uh, lots of other people didn't know, and they they should. Uh, and Ron, being a close friend of Thurman's, uh, being a teammate, being a roommate, uh, you know, was really in a position to shed a lot of light on, you know, who Thurman was beyond the kind of you know, gruff exterior and obviously tremendously talented catcher. Um, but the other thing was, was just like this, you know, the story arc. You you have Ron who's drafted, I think it's 66 or 67, drafted, you know, he's the number one pick by mm -hmm. the Yankees. Um, 
you know, so obviously they see him as, you know, and, and, and he's drafted like right at the time that the Yankees, you know, suddenly stink after, you know, this, you know, 15 year, however many year you know, dynastic run, all of a sudden they just blow. And so the Yankees are, you know, starting to, to think about the future and building for the future. And obviously Ron Bloomberg is going to be a cornerstone of this rebuilding. The next year, their number one draft pick is Thurman Monson. Same deal. Like this is the guy we know he's going to be a cornerstone of building. And so those guys plus Bobby Mercer were supposed to be the heart of, you know, the, the Yankees, you know, the Yankees Phoenix like eyes in the 1970s. And I just want to I just want to jump in for one second for to really put things in perspective to to some of the listeners. The draft was a brand new concept at this time. At before the draft, yes. you basically major league teams would just recruit players, would try to sign amateur players and and sometimes pay big money for them or sometimes try to just they'll try to sign like a whole bunch of them and and scatter them around through the minor leagues. But teams, rich teams could just sign the best talent available, even if they had just won the World Series. There was lots of bonus right. situations and some of the rules were very different. But the idea of the worst team having the first pick of a draft was a brand spanking new concept in the 60s. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I'm doing some of this from memory. I think Rick Monday was the first ever draft pick by the then yes. Kansas so, City so, and, 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 Right, and I think that was '66. So yeah, I think then then Ron would have been drafted in '67 and Thurman in '68. Right, and, and so the Yankees, the Yankees were had the first pick those years. The Yankees, who had, uh, did, as you said, they were dynastic. They could buy players, but they also had a weird and I think completely collusion-filled relationship with the Kansas City A's where they would trade their bad players for the A's good young players and when and, and if the they just it was it was a, those two teams were colluding basically and the A's were basically a farm team and once Charlie Finley bought the A's and put an end to that by a remarkable coincidence the Yankees fortunes started falling apart and they didn't have young players to replenish when uh, Hank Bauer and Moose Scourin and, you know, Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle all started to break down. And the result was right. they have the first pick of the draft and Ron Bloomberg and Bobby Mercer and Munson were held up as the golden children to uh, to save the franchise, essentially. Exactly. And so what you see is, you know, and they both, you know, Munson gets to the gets to the show full time first. Ron doesn't, you know, they both get have a cup of coffee in 69, but then Ron gets sent back down to the minors and doesn't come up full time till 71. But, you know, it's this this sort of thing where like they're both, you know, on track. They're both like really, you know, really good players. I mean, Johnson establishes himself as a great player out of the gate. And but Ron, like, you know, he's a really tremendously talented hitter you know, gives, as he is fond of himself, of saying 110% um, every time he's, he's out on the field um, and, and was very popular with the fans. And, and, but then what happens is, you know, and the team gets better and those guys are part of it. And then Ron just starts getting injured and, 
and completely misses this renaissance, which, you know, he's been groomed to be part of, but because he keeps running into wall or swinging too hard for the fences, and, you know, when he could be, you know, dialing back a bit, I mean, he, he was never one to dial it back. So he kept getting hurt and, um, and then winds up completely missing the boat uh, and missing the championship boat. And, I want to point out, so, I want to point out quickly, Dan, that when you say running into walls, you're not saying it metaphorically. When he was coming back from no, an injury, no. he was coming back from an injury, I believe it was either in 75 or 76. He was coming back from an injury that nearly caught, yeah, it, it nearly cost him the previous season. And he was showing how strong and how, how uh, ready he was to play. And it was in an exhibition, it was in a spring training game against the Mets because the new owner of the Yankees, Mr. Steinbrenner, uh, was, for whatever reason, adamant to never lose to the Mets, even in a spring training game. And Ron Bloomberg, who, who is normally a first baseman, and we'll get into his role as the DH in, in, in a little bit, was showing that he still had it, and he ran full speed into one of the concrete walls in Fort Lauderdale, wherever the hell they were playing, and... Basically, it was out for at the Red Sox. Oh, I, which you oh, know, I don't. No, not the. Uh, I, the, the uh, well, they're, they're two. Di they're two different walls. Okay, okay, so, but but so. the one that knocked him out of the '76 season, he was coming back from an injury, and he smashed into a wall. Right. Am I getting the? Am I getting? Uh, maybe I did. Maybe I am conflating two. He ran into the wall and so now, often. Now you're, now you're confusing me. <laughs> yes, but but there. But but no. But it it was a deja vu thing. He. So basically, he 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 completely rips his shoulder muscle, like like not mm -hmm. just a tear, like a full on, you know, like self severs it. Swing, you know, uh, swinging at per pitch in the '75 season. So he's out all the rest of the season, and you know, in like a cast and 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 stuff. And so seventy, um, so seventy six. He's ready to, you know, you know, he's he's ready to do to to uh, to go for and um, and I believe it's and now I'm confused, but I believe it's 70, 76 where he he um, runs into a wall. Oh God! Well, so in any right. case, seventy six in spring. There's more than one time he, he, he hurts himself. <laughs> it, right. So he 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 basically himself running into a wall in spring training at 76 is out for the rest of the season except for like they bring him back at the end and and you know uh he plays one let, game let him have one a couple game. of at bats yeah yeah after the you know the season is basically over and then 77 he's you know he's like he's worked out all 76 off he's ready to go and then he runs into the wall that's in right. spring training in 77 and it's like you know it's deja vu all over again and um you know and and uh and yeah and 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 that you know i think in both cases it's like billy martin sticking him out there for reasons known only to billy martin because yeah ron ron by this point you know i mean he played some outfield in his life but he was not a fielder no and uh and and uh yeah so uh, but but also i mean part of the thing was by 77 you think about you know 
what happened with the Yankees in the offseason and signing Reggie Jackson. And, you know, there wasn't really a position for Ron to play uh, for sure on that seven squad. So he was, you know, because they had Chris Shambliss at first, who was mm-hmm. the hero of the six playoffs. They have Reggie Jackson coming in, you know, in right. They've got, got Rivers in center, left field. You know, it, it's kind of like Lou Pinella and Roy uh, White. Roy was still- White. And Paul um, Paul Blair was on that team. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Blair was definitely you know like backup dude at that point, but yeah, but he was but, still so, a fine so player. It was yeah. Clear as, yeah, 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 yeah. No, um, but I'm saying like he was Blair was not in contention for a starting role, right, right. But, but Ron was. They just didn't know exactly where he was be or if it was going to be like a you know, a Lou Pinella type situation where sometimes he's in the field, sometimes he's DHing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when, you know, Ron had the skills for first base, so he subs for Shambles at first. So, I mean, it, it, it's not cut, had he healthy, it's not, you, you can't say for sure that he would have been, you know, uh, an everyday player on that, on the 77 team, but he would have been part of that 77 team, which, you know, I mean, everybody who was like never had to, never had to buy another dinner in New York. So, um, you know, yeah, he definitely missed out. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't work. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. And best of all, you get paid for your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at fanduel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Now let's return to my interview with Dan Epstein. I, one of the things, I find Billy Martin to be the a never-ending source of fascination for me. I've read way too much about Billy Martin in my life. And he seemed sometimes like the most brilliant man and sometimes the most insane man and sometimes the most loyal man, and sometimes the biggest SOB you'll ever imagine. And he strikes me as a bit of an SOB with Ron Bloomberg because the guy literally ran into a wall and is injured and obviously wants to come back. And Billy Martin never has a nice thing to say to the guy, saying, you know, you're messing up my DH. You were Because he because Martin clearly thought he was going to have him as his left-handed DH option. And they wound up playing right. Carlos May and a couple other people who were and eventually uh, trading for Cliff Johnson, but who was a right-handed batter. But it was like he was right. chewing them out. Like, when are you going to play? What's the matter? Like, Billy, he's clearly hurt. And the other thing about his injuries, I'll get, we'll get to Munson in a second. The thing about his injuries that are, that are really frustrating to read about him here, here in, in 2023 is that it strikes me kind of like how when we read about Mark Fidrich, that the injuries that he sustained with go. today's medicine, 
he may have missed either part of a season or maybe one season, but then would have been back. We would have had many, many seasons of the bird. He had his shoulder was misdiagnosed and he was still being a good singles hitter, but he couldn't pull the ball anymore because his shoulder was ripped. He would have been able, they would have detected that sooner. He would have been repaired. sooner. he may have missed part of the 75 season, but he probably by the mid, if they had treated it correctly, (laughs) if they treated correctly, he probably would have been healthy for the world series run in 76 and 77. If, if he was playing with today's, you know, today's medicine. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and the same with his knee, you know, with uh, which he smashed, smashed up into the wall, which really, what, I think that was the second time he ran into the wall was <laughs> that, that, that's when he busted his knee. And, and then, you know, when he came back with the White Sox in 78 and 79, I mean, this was, this was a problem. He could still make contact, but like, you know, his, he didn't have the, he didn't have the need to kind of, you know, drive and pivot off of. And so that really sapped his power as well. And, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's definitely a, a heartbreaker. I mean, you know, Ron is, Ron is about the sweetest guy you could ever talk to. And, you know, he just loves baseball and he just loved to play baseball. And he, you know, and he loves the fans. He always loved the fans, he wanted to make the fans happy by doing well for them, you know, in New York and in Chicago until like to this day, it still kills him when somebody will be like, oh yeah, Ron Bloomberg, yeah, you, you know, like, God, like I was so excited when you came to the White Sox and, you know, and, 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 uh, and uh, you were such a disappointment. <laughs> so, I would say know, that. And, and uh, I, you know, like, you know, people say stupid shit on Facebook, I know, but I um, like anybody would say that to his face, but um uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, uh, it's, it's a tragic, I mean, this book is a tragic, t- it's a couple of tragic tales. I mean, obviously yeah. Thurman Munson, that's a very tragic story in and of itself. But then, like, I mean, what, what really attracted me to this story, other than that, you know, Ron Bloomberg's, uh, you know, uh, you know, cult 70s figure and, and mm-hmm. Thurman was always my favorite catcher growing up. Um, you know, there's such a human story to this where it's like, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, all the drive and all the, you know, good attitude. I mean, you know, Ron always brought a good attitude to the field. He was never like, oh man, I got to play today. It's like, I, you know, I want to play, I wanna, you know, uh, swing for the fences. I want to, you know, go great guns. And you can have all that and plus all this just like natural like he was just a natural born physical specimen like like this day nobody knows how this you know son of jewish jewelers from the south like (laughs) was this you know greek god essentially like you know just like like no body fat all muscle just you know like twice the size of his dad it just you know, no, nobody's really sure what kind of recessive genes uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, made that happen, but, but it's like, but, but so basically he had everything going for him and it didn't work out. And, and that, and that to me just is like, you know, it's fascinating because, you know, as, as baseball fans, we're always like, oh yeah, that, you know, like, oh, that, that guy sucks or that guy, 
you know, that guy was such a disappointment or, 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 or what have you. And it's like the amount of talent and the amount of work that goes into anybody, you know, that goes into Fred Chicken Stanley making the yeah. major leagues. Oh, you know, it's, it's like beyond our comprehension. Well, the, and then the, even com if, the comic Jimmy Pardo and I talked about this on the show. He said anyone who played one game in the major league is amazing is incredible has talent we don't understand because they survived that whole gauntlet you think about people who were first round draft picks who don't make it past double a if you get to the major right. leagues with a, as a cup of coffee you are an astonishing talent you know the guy sitting on yes. the you know you know i i would i made fun of stan pappy in the uh the the documentary spaceman that i appeared in because he was all the red sox right. got in exchange with bill lee but i was quick to point out anyone who plays a game in the major leagues you buy a beer from his whole life the red sox just should have yeah, gotten more absolutely. than a utility infielder for bill lee but right <laughs> but uh and, that being and, said and, and, yeah so so yeah so it's just like you know th this is and this is like you know this is you can have the best attitude the best you know uh you know the best talent the you know uh but if the brakes don't roll your way or or if you break something yeah like it's you know you're that's 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 what you wrote and and so you know the the contrast of like thurman becomes you know one of the great catchers of his era and i don't really like to get into hall of fame arguments but he should he be belong. in the hall of fame yes i agree and and uh um the um you know and 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 he captain of the yankees and he leads them to three straight pennants two straight world series championships and you know probably could i mean 79 was kind of a wash for the yankees anyway but I think had Thurman not had in the plane crash in 79, had gotten healthy in the offseason, he could have very easily, you know, led the 80 or 81 and and or 81 squad to another World Series championship. And had he done that, I think he would be in the Hall of Fame now. Thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen every day. Your second listen should be Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the Major League Baseball stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And now let's listen to the final segment with the great author, Dan Epstein. I mean, he was, he was just constantly, you know, in the dugout, on the field, in the clubhouse. He was just constantly dialed in and and all he cared about was the game and playing and you know wanted everybody on the team to you know give the proverbial 110 percent and uh um you know and and so then you know the yankees finally win when they finally win uh their first pennant in a dozen years which is 76 you know it's really it's very clearly thurman who leads them uh, he and he wins the Ale MVP award for that year. And there's, you know, after the fact, 
sabermetric cases can be made that he was not the best player in the American League that year, but he was definitely the most important and most valuable player to the Yankees that season. And he was he was in '77 too. You know he, you know there was a whole personality clash between him and Reggie Jackson, but even but despite that, like that never affected how Thurman dealt with Reggie in a game situation and never affected Thurman, how Thurman dealt with his own game situations. You know, it's like he was kind of the king of leaving whatever was bugging him, you know, in his locker and just going, going out and, and playing every game as if, you know, you know, nothing else, you know, was a problem. The problem was winning the game and that was what he was focused on. So I think for, I, a, I, you know, I, for, I think for a generation who the Yankees hadn't won since you touched on this, they hadn't won since 64. They've gone to the World Series in 64. They hadn't won since 62. And for a generation of people who grew up uh, after that happened and like the Yankees and, and they stuck with the Yankees when the Mets became the cool team in town, winning the World Series, winning a pennant, having the big star and Tom right. Seaver, that they stuck with the Yankees and but they didn't have a pennant of their own they didn't have a title of their own and i think munson in a in a similar manner that jeter and the crowd who did that in 1996 uh, again also homegrown player played hard played with a sense of you know you know the proverbial get your uniform dirty um and it's important right. you know that this is the the, the hard-nosed player who is leading our team and suddenly leading them back to greatness and yes the Yankees poached a lot of great players from Cleveland like Chambliss and Tidrow and Nettles yes they were, were in on free agency very early with Catfish Hunter the fluke with Catfish Hunter but also obviously Reggie and and um you know uh uh you know, Don Gullett and and later Gossage but it was Munson represented for a lot of people a return to Yankee glory and I think for so many people of a certain age, he was their guy, which is why there was almost that that Munson versus Jackson, you know, uh, you know, tugging back and forth, not just personality wise, well, but like you're this was the guy who took us from the bad years to the good years. And then Jackson ran to the front of the parade saying, this is my parade, rubbed some people the wrong way. They didn't right. complain when he had three home runs. He did, yeah, he didn't. They didn't complain when he no, hit the three home no. runs against in the Dodgers in the world, the final game of the World Series. But that that sort of rivalry no, kind of percolated. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and 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 no. I mean that that's 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 all very well put. The other thing I would to that though is that you know Thurman was you know the the prototypical you know lunch pill guy, like yeah. just you know. Um, there were, you know, especially compared to Jackson, who always had like the furs and was always looking good. And Thurman was, you know, rarely. He was a slob. He was, I mean, he was basically like Madison wardrobe. It was like this, you know, rumpled plaid uh, polyester suit jacket, you know, a shirt with no tie, an undershirt peeking out from under it. I mean, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, of uh, uh, having shaved in like three days. And, and, and then on top of that, you know, he, he also had some pretty well publicized 
battles with the Yankee front office over over salary, over his mustache, or you know, I mean, and and that was something that really you know appealed to the Yankee fans, where it was just like, like you know, yeah, he's you know he's our guy. You can't you can't you know you can't lowball him. You can't you can't tell him he's got to shave his mustache. You know, it's 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 Thurman and. and and there was there was a great moment in Thurman's career where, um, you know, he kind of screws it, like you know makes makes a very rare error in a game and then strikes out the next time he comes up, and he's booed at Yankee Stadium because of this. The fans boo him, and <laughs> Thurman just stuck the middle finger to the crowd and just like you know, and everybody's like, oh my, you know, God, like you know, the the are like, oh my God, that's so scandalous, and you know, he's going to be fine. And the fans love it. It's like, yeah, because that's what we do. If you get on our case, we give you the finger, and that's what Thurman does, and one of us. So yeah, yeah. so when when so you know, the glory plus the sense of personal identification. I mean, yeah, that that's 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 totally what you know the, the Thurman legacy you know uh, with Yankee fans is about and the fact that the, he had the tragic ending so we never we never saw him come, like decay and become a like a bench player we never saw him play for the Indians or you know go for not go to another team like when you know Billy Martin wound up going to Oakland he didn't po- try to poach Thurman Munson to come with him to Oakland that sort of thing which very well could have happened especially as the Yankees were dismantling the Bronx Zoo team um he very well could have said f this I'm going to I'm going to Cleveland um that he is forever that player his final full season was 78 and I think that that plus the fact that the Yankees went through a tremendously unsuccessful period after his death uh sort of cemented that legacy for him for a lot of Yankee fans, it sort of created him. He became this um, almost supernatural spirit that hung over the stadium until they finally won the World Series again in 1996. Yeah, it it really you know it, it's it's true, and and there are some people who claim that Thurman was on the downside of his career when he did die. I mean, certainly he was, you know, he was playing, um, um, you know, he was playing some games in the outfield and, you know, try to save, save his knees, which were hurting him. But I mean, he was still in the lineup almost every day. It wasn't like, you know, he had, uh, you know, he, he was uh, you know, being trotted out. Uh, you know, this wasn't like Mickey Mantle in 1968. Like he, he still, he, he still mm-hmm. had it. And, and uh, yeah, I really do think like if he could have gotten, you know, healthy in the off season because certainly the '79 Yankees weren't going to make it in the postseason that year. Would have given him a lot of time to just rest and work out and stuff. I do think, you know, he would have. Uh, there was still more gas in the tank. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of gas in the tank with Dan Epstein, who's uh, Dan Epstein. <laughs> Dan Epstein. Epstein. Dan Epstein. Epstein. I, I, how many times? How long have I known you, and I still butcher your last name, like Juan Epstein? <laughs> I even said it's. Uh, right. Oh God, uh-huh. you know, I'm, uh, you forgive me, forgive me, may may the spirit of Thurman Munson forgive me. Well, hey Dan, um, thanks you so much for, me. you know, we were this is going to be chopped up into many many episodes, obviously, but uh, tell people where they can find your your work or follow you or 
make your life a little better? Sure. Um, I am on Instagram, Doc Fidrich, uh, <laughs> D-O-C-K-F-I-D-R-Y-C-H. My uh, uh, two, two favorite uh, pitchers of all time, Doc Ellis and Mark Fidrich. Um, I also, um, I have a blog, uh, Big Hair and Plastic Grass, uh, Big Hair, I think it's Big Hair Plastic Grass.com or Maybe there's an and in there. I can't even remember anymore. But uh, also, if you if you like music, uh, which I've been writing about a lot more lately uh, than baseball, I have a Substack called Jagged Time Lapse, which kind of explores uh, all kinds of great music uh, from all kinds of years and periods and styles. And uh, if you just go to just Google Dan Epstein Jagged Time Lapse or Dan Epstein Substack. You'll, you'll find your way there. And and get this, The Captain and Me is a great book. Also, your your previous books, Big Hair and Plastic Grass and Stars and Strikes. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you. uh, and, and, and it isn't all nostalgia for me because I was too young to remember most of the 70s. Uh, and it's just such a wonderful, right. uh, just a wonderful time capsule. And you and I have talked in your previous appearances that I get frustrated when the you know, the 50s crowd thinks they have the complete monopoly on baseball nostalgia. I'm nostalgic for Three River Stadium and the vet and the cookie cutter parks and the polyester uniforms and the AstroTurf because that was the baseball I grew up on and fell in love with. And I, you know, and and I think that there's a, so much, there's so much, um, you know, just great memories that can be mined from that. And you go, you read through your books. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean it's a very it's a very rich period. I I don't like the term nostalgia for what I do because I try to make it really clear that I'm not saying, oh man, the '70s were great, everything was awesome. That to me is nostalgia. '70s were '70s were weird. So I I I, I was in the '70s. It was a strange, unsettling time. It was not all disco balls and, and, you know, and, and, uh, funky bell bottoms. It was, you know, snuck caked, uh, corduroy pants and, you know, brown, uh, conversion vans and, uh, and, and, uh, wife swapping, which, you know, was a lot less fun if you were, you know, actually impacted by it. So, you know, it, it, um, so I, you know, but I think it's an incredibly rich period and it needs, you know, to be examined from, for all the, you know, important changes that happened in the game in the 1970s that are still impacting today, you know, and, and, but I think it, it needs to be taken on its own terms. So like, like, yeah, it was awesome, but it was, it was weird. It was strange. It was, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, combativeness on and off the field or a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people fighting for their lives in the game. And, uh, you know, Ronberg was one of them. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, but so I, I appreciate uh, that you dig the books. And I do think anybody who's interested in 70s baseball, just the 70s in general, uh, should read my books because I think they'll get a lot out of them. And they're and as I said, they have the greatest the greatest literary honor I can bestow upon a book is they always end up in my bathroom. They always yes. end up. 
<laughs> it always end up in my bathroom. So as, as an invert bathroom reader, I can think of no higher compliment. Well, thank you for being there in the bathroom with me. Uh, looks like your cat is showing up in the background. That's that's the that's the universal sign. Dan, thanks so much for being part of the show. For everyone else, you could follow me at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear some of my episodes I did before Locked On, subscribe to Sully Baseball and a couple of Dan's been on, on some episodes on the old show as well as the new show here. Talking. With the great Dan Epstein of The Captain yes. and Me, on and off the field with Thurman Munson, as well as Big Hair and Plastic Grass and Stars and Strikes. This has been Locked On MLB. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Okay, that's probably three episodes right there.